You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to The Salisha Show. Y'all, we interrupt this season of the Britney Spears musical, one-on-one with the cast, for a very, a very special episode. I am sitting down with one of my favorite Broadway stars. Let's see here. This is just going to name a couple of the things he does because he's really done a lot. But he has been in Brooklyn, the musical, Disaster, waitress he's originated roles in Lestat 110 in the shade Priscilla queen of the desert uh the lame is revival as Javert and my fave hair as burger which he got a Tony nom and a drama desk award for his off-Broadway credits regional credits and tv credits are so innumerable that sometimes in his bio he <laughs> literally puts and blah 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 <laughs> like what the actual act he is slated to star in the new neil diamond musical called a beautiful noise as neil diamond and he just finished recording the cast album for assassins but on a personal note i have met him one time and i am so happy to know that he is kind. I was like 23 years old and I was sitting in the audience of Shuffle Along and I'm from Fresno and I get an email right before the show. Uh, He's married to Audra McDonald, who's also from Fresno, who we call her Gadra. I get an email before the show that says, Audra McDonald requests your presence in her dressing room after the show. I'm like, this is not real. I know that's not real. But I went backstage and they let me backstage. And I'm in her dressing room being total, I don't even think I said words. And he watched me be the biggest geek I've ever been in my whole life. And he was so kind. He was so kind. And so I am so excited to introduce to you today the bomb, the one, the only Broadway star and legend, Will Swenson. 
Oh my goodness. Silesia, I need to take you with me everywhere I go and just have you like warm up the room before I enter. I think, I think you've missed your calling. I think you, you need to be a hype man more than anything. Shut up right now. Come on, hype man. I, I, we love a hype man. Well, it's so great to see you. Thank you for getting up this morning. How are you today? I'm great. I'm better now just having my praises sung so nicely, but um, it is very nice to talk to you and nice to be here. It's so great to actually like get to have a conversation with you. When I first met you, I, it's okay if you don't remember that was a long, that was years ago. I do remember that night because I only saw Shuffle Along on one night and then closing night. So it was the first one I'm gathering unless you were there on the closing performance. No, I was in town on tour from beautiful, literally that one day. Mm -hmm. And we were just, yeah. So that was, there's no way that was the closing night because we would know. Yeah. How um, great was that show? Amazing. Oh my gosh. And so random that it's a show about a show that didn't get its, get its due. And then it happened again. It's just, it's history repeating itself is so weird with that one. Literally one of the best shows I've ever seen and whatever random forces made it happen again, where it just didn't get the run that it deserved. What the actual heck? And it was an all-star cast. Insane, insane. That's it's the only time in my whole life where I have cried, where there was not emotional things going on on stage. Like it was like, it was just one of the tap numbers. Like it was so, <laughs> Come on! it was, it was so overwhelming. I'm tearing up talking about it. It's so crazy. But, but it was just the, the talent and the, the thunder from the stage was so overwhelming. I cried. It was really, it was really beautiful. And that was a very special night <laughs> for me, for many reasons. You offered to take a picture of me and Audra. And I'm like, can you get in the picture, please? Oh. But out of all the shows that you've done, and I didn't even list them all, like Rock of Ages, the Cherry Springer musical, <laughs> Assassins, even what is the favorite, what is your favorite project that you've worked on? I mean, that's that's an impossible. I know, question. I know. You can't answer that question either. I'm sure. I know. But <laughs> I mean, if I had to default, I would say hair. Well, it, for one reason, it was like I found some of my best friends to this day that I have in my life, and also it was sort of the one that that elevated my career to an extent. So uh, it, it was it was pretty magical. I mean, there have been so many magical ones along the way. So if I had to pick one, I'd say hair. Ooh. Okay, I wish I got to see you with my own eyes. Obviously, I was in college around that time, so of course we saw video clips and all of the things online. <laughs> but how, did you guys actually grow out your own hair? Did you guys were you wigged? Everyone but Gavin or whoever was playing Claude grew their hair out because at the end of the show he had to look like a military um, crew cut haircut when he goes to war. So everybody except the the actor playing Claude grew out their own hair. Yeah, and. Your hair is stunning. It's gorgeous. It's actually one of my favorite things about you. What do you do to take care of it? Is it Oh, you're going to hate me. I don't I hardly do anything. Honestly, I, when I was growing it out, the first Sheila that we um had in the show when we did our concert version in Central Park was Karen Olivo. And so I asked Karen for hair tips then because she has long lustrous hair. And she said, "Well, honestly, don't don't wash it a lot. 
And I was like, what? And she's like, no, don't get me wrong. I, I shower, but I just don't shampoo <laughs> it a lot. And it like never dawned on me to, to think about hair care at all. So to this day, I still don't shampoo too often until it starts looking really greasy. That's um, great. <laughs> and I'll condition it now and then, but but I, I'm not the person to go to for hair care products. I just... Wait, question. And I hadn't thought about this until now. What about for your your offspring? Because I, I, I'm sure they have like kinky curly hair <laughs> yes do yeah. you do it does audra do it like because you have the hair podcast as well i was thinking about you this morning when i was combing out my daughter's hair <sighs> she's five and audra and i when we were before we even gave birth we were like oh god bless this poor little baby is going to have the biggest hair in the history of the world and she does it's amazing it's amazing it's it's wonderful curls little tight curls and and long as can be but you'd never know it we I just she got her first trim like last week ever and Audra's hair person came to do it for her. And so when she gave her the trim, she straightened it and combed it out to, to kind of give it the right trim. And her hair was way down past her butt. And we, we you know, just kind of didn't know. It had just been growing and growing. So I, as, as you know, unexpecting white dude, have learned a lot about how to, about hair and, and how, to, how to comb things out that I, it never even, uh, you know, crossed my mind how much uh, work goes into certain hairstyles and and I've I've grown a, a really profound appreciation for for Wait, what's your go-to hairstyle that you do on on your daughter? I'm pretty good at braids and I like to mess around with with braids and like last year when I had more time because school was less of a of a hard deadline to get to I was kind of I, I followed this this account on Instagram it was like I forget what it's called but it was like you know interesting hairstyles which is great for straight blonde hair but right. trying to trying to pull some of those off with my daughter's hair was really hard so I right. learned which ones work and which ones don't without creating too much. Uh, snaggling and snarling of, of the hair like multiple multiple braids kind of <laughs> something that I can comb out easy the next day I guess is probably the answer to that question I I really love that I just got engaged and he's he's really white and I keep <laughs> telling him, I'm like babe your kids are gonna come out looking black I'm black. <laughs> so he's gonna have to figure out hair at some point as well so yeah it's been fun it's been a fun learning curve and i like the time that that i get with her too like it's it's just kind of a, a an extra bonding thing that i didn't get with my first two kids who are just whitey white white <laughs> how do you balance the industry and being a dad i mean it's hard obviously it's 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 tricky i you, I, I've been so lucky to always have a great support system and the, the people around me that have helped to cover me and take care of my kids or, 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 or do other things for me while I had to take care of my kids. A support system has been amazing and communication is big with your partner so that <laughs> everyone gets their, their needs met and, and everyone understands the, the sacrifices that one another are making in order to kind of make a family function. Like, but, is it, is it real? Like I, as somebody in the business who like, oh gosh, Andrew, my fiance, he wants to have six kids. I'm like, I don't <laughs> think that really sounds realistic, at least not for New York. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out a way of how I can do both. So when I see people who are doing it, it's, it really is inspiring and baffling well, at the same time. Like how, how? I mean, I, th I think the realistic answer to that is that the industry has to change a bit. I think 
I think if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we have to get our priorities in order and that enjoying your life is much more important than having a successful career. And those two shouldn't be mutually exclusive. You know, I think it's time for producers to understand that for for moms or dads who have new children that require extra care, it's time to go to like a six show week with with an alternate or, or a combination of that. Speak it. It's just, you know, the shows don't suffer. There is so much talent in this business. And sometimes I think it would sell extra tickets to have, you know, two heavy hitters that don't want to necessarily put in an eight show week. But I'm going to go to the show and I'm going to see Patty on this night. And then I'm going to go to the show and see Jennifer Samard on that night. And I'm thrilled with both of those choices. And that could potentially sell two tickets. That's that's in my mind, that's that can be a big win. And then everybody gets their needs met. I love that idea for so many reasons. It makes me think of Disney, how like, and I you used to work for Disney. I did. I got my equity card at Disney World. Yeah. How was that for you? <laughs> it was great. It was great. I was, I was thrilled. I was wide eyed and just fresh out of college. And I was being offered my equity card and, and a really nice, healthy paycheck. I mean, I was making then what Off-Broadway pays now. And that was 25 oh. years ago. That is so interesting. I always feel like off Broadway is like it's like what the cool kids do. I feel like some of the best stuff is off Broadway. It, yeah. It's just like not super commercialized, so it is off Broadway. But like that is where you go to like make some bomb art, or if you aren't worried about money, you can go and like yeah, really. Do you yeah. have yeah? Do you have? It is a wild cross section off Broadway. I feel like half of the people there are just like scrapping and just like doing hard work and barely making rent. And the others are like movie stars who just want to do a cool project and don't need a, don't need a paycheck. Yeah. It's interesting. Do you have a preference of being in a big Broadway show or a super artsy, meaningful, I mean, both have their pros and cons like off Broadway (laughs) show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if money wasn't an object, I I would be thrilled to do little off-Broadway shows for the rest of my life. Just do new, new work is my jam. I love doing something brand new that's never, never been done before. Just no preconceived ideas about what it is. And the rehearsal room is like genuine creation. I, I love that so much. And if money was no object, like that's where I really am fulfilled. I just, I beam every day and I'm just floating down the street going home just because you're you're making something that didn't exist before. Um, and then, you know, big Broadway shows are great for the, for the bank account and for the ego sometimes. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> they, it can be the, the genuine creation as well. You know, there, there are new shows put up on Broadway and there are, there's amazing art on Broadway. It's, it's tricky when that commercial aspect comes into it so that you have to have to consider selling tickets and not necessarily in right. fuzzying your vision of what you're trying to do and trying to say. So it's tricky. I love it all. So in your, in your opinion, what does success mean to you? Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. I mean, I think my answer to that 20 years ago would have been much different from my answer now. And now to answer that question from a a place of like financial security and, and like (laughs) stability in, in my, my family life you know, now my answer is much more family centered. You know, today I would say success is, is 
knowing that I'm loved and knowing that my family feels loved and taken care of and, and theater is a part of that. Um, but I think as a scrappy artist coming out of college, I would have immediately just said, success looks like Broadway. Right. Right. <laughs> I need a Broadway credit and then I'll be happy was would have <laughs> definitely been my answer. And it did, it did make me happy. And now looking back, I'm like, Oh, you know, that, that was a goal and a great goal to have. And, and, you know, I think we measure ourselves by having that Broadway credit indicates that I am at a level, a certain level, but you know, I did work prior to that, that was better than my next three or four Broadway shows. So, you know, what's, what is, you know, that kind of asks the question, what is, what is success? Is it, is it fulfilling your vision in an artistic project endeavor? Or is it just checking things off of a list that, you know, our, our society has con- created this construct of Broadway equals success. Therefore, I won't be successful until I have this credit. Right. And it's tough to, to you know, <laughs> not want that when that's seen as the pinnacle. But, um, you know, there's a lot of crap shows on Broadway and there's a lot of amazing stuff at community theaters across the theater, uh, across the country. Right. So, I don't know. Okay. So you've, you've done... I mean, you've done quite a bit. And not only that, Will, like when you look up on Playbill.com, they usually get like, they fudge dates and stuff for people. They don't really care. They'll be like, oh yeah, this is when the production was. Sometimes they don't always put the actual dates that a person is in the show. For you, they were like, he came in on this date. He left on this date. He started this date. He left. It is very (laughs) precise. It's very precise. Well, when you're old like me, maybe they just, that's the old algorithm or something. <laughs> well, they they get it right for you. And so, I mean, it's like, it's well, not easy, but like, it is a sure thing that you are the definition of, like for that kid who's in college, who's looking to be on Broadway, like you have made it. And so from your perspective, where does your confidence come from? Have you always been confident? And when did you know, uh-oh, I think I could do this thing? I I was, <laughs> I've always been confident. And, and that came out of just the oblivious bubble in which I grew up. I was just kind of a golden child, just clueless that, that the world was going to crush me someday. So I just, you know, I just sort of breezed through everything. You know, it's just obnoxious what what my little, you know, (laughs) privileged experience was. And the more I reflect on it, the more I just can't believe how much of this world was handed to me on a silver platter. And it's it's disgusting and terrible and and lucky all in the same breath. So I was just always confident that I could do anything and you know, I was the kind of kid that would try to just like climb a sheer face of a waterfall because I was just in, <laughs> invincible and and nothing could, you know, get me down. And for the most part, everything went fine until I, you know, till a, a bit later in life. So I think <laughs> my confidence came from arrogance to begin with. Great, and great. I sort of had a midlife crisis and realized that the, the structure and the society in which I was brought up was a bit of a facade and and I had to kind of get my feet on the ground. So that took a whole sort of refiguring out of of who I was and what I believed and then and then by that point I think I think it wasn't wasn't 
naive confidence anymore. It was just like world weary confidence. It was like, okay, <laughs> I've been through a lot and had to sort of reinvent myself. And then it was like, as far as the business is concerned, um, like fuel for the process. Like, you know, now, now I had that gritty life experience to plug into my roles, I guess. And what was the second part of the question? Because I rambled about myself for too long. No, no, you didn't. Oh, wait, let me try to remember because I was just going off of what we last talked about. Confidence. If you always have the confidence and also, oh yeah, when did you know like you could do this career oh, for yeah. real, for real? For real, for real? I don't know. Yeah. My, I, I grew up in a theatrical family. My grandma was a playwright and she started a, a small theater in Glendale, California in the 50s, the 40s and 50s. So my mom grew up in the theater and then I grew up in the theater. So I, they threw me on stage when I was just a, a kid. And it was very much the family business growing up. And so I always you know, thought, okay, well, I can do this, but it's like the family business. I want to be a professional football player or whatever. But I was terrible at everything else. I was like, well, I can't be a football player or a skier, which is what the only other two things I ever wanted to do or were any good at. But I was not a good football player. Anyway, I'm a good skier. That said, I got a scholarship to college to, to act. And I was like, great, this will pay for college, but I'll see what else is out there. And then I got to college and I just really enjoyed it and kept doing it, learned how to sing, and then and then got hired. Come on, learn how to sing? Yeah, I mean, I did the high school musicals and and like we didn't do musicals at my family's theater too too much. And I, I think I was only ever in maybe two of them. But I didn't think of myself as a singer. I started, I, actually my scholarship was in acting. And then I switched over to musical theater halfway through college. And I can't remember a specific moment. One specific, hey. the only one that comes to my mind was when a national tour of a... Uh, of a chorus line came through Salt Lake City and and the girl sang at the ballet and she went at the ballet, at the ballet, at the ballet. And it was just loud and wonderful and just kind of shook me. And and I, I was just moved and I was just like, wow, if she can move me like that, I, I, I think I think maybe I want to do this. That's the one thing that I can. But then going to like Les Mis as a kid, I was like, I want to be on that barricade. I don't know. I guess it was a bunch. I'm about to audition for that. I've, I don't think I've ever auditioned for Les Mis before. For Les Mis? No. Oh my, I, 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 I think I auditioned for Les Mis like, like 15 <laughs> times before I finally got it. Wait, really? Oh yeah. The first go around, like I was, I was a young kid and I would like go to open calls and get called back a hundred times and never got it. And I just, I wanted to be Angel Ross. I wanted to be Marius. And then I started getting older and I was like, okay. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, and then to finally get Javier. <laughs> it's like I aged into finally. That's amazing. Well, I think you're amazing, especially since you're like, I guess I'll learn how to sing. Like your voice is. <laughs> it's your funny. Voice I mean, is so it's, stupid. It's I mean, we stupid. all we all go through imposter syndrome, but I still do. But I think because I didn't start out in musicals, I always feel like this imposter. Like they're gonna discover that I can't really sing. I'm just, I'm just kind of faking this, and they're no. all gonna discover no. that. No, no, well. <laughs> no. I remember thinking, oh, well, if you look at commercial theater, like there's probably three or four musicals produced for every to every straight play. And I was like, I'll be much more castable if I can do music, if I can do both. So I was like, all right, well, I should learn how to sing. I should learn how to tumble. And I started taking tumbling classes. Bad idea. <gasps> um, no talent there. But I was like, I could be that guy that can tumble and sing and act. Anyway, I just wanted to be really castable. Can, <laughs> which you are. Can I ask you a tough question? Maybe it might not be actually. Would you say, because you mentioned you touch on this very, very briefly, would you say as a straight 
white man are you in our industry? Are you do you feel more heard or less heard? Right now? Sure. Yeah. You mean in general, do do I does my voice get more attention? Is that your question? Or less? Like because I know, you know, being straight might have something to do with it. Like I don't know. What do you, do you have well, any I mean, the answer is, is I I am, I do take up more space, absolutely, in my whiteness, in my straightness, in my cisgenderedness, I I absolutely take up more, more space than I should and have for forever. I mean, you know, the cringy thing that that is said in this industry about now is, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to be, it's tough to be a white guy in this business right now, which I've heard. And that's horrifying to hear. So like what you're saying with that is that you aren't happy taking up three times more roles than, than your black counterparts. You, you, you want it to stay at three times more, whatever. I know I'm just making, pulling out a number, but like, and you, and you, so you don't want to even the playing field. You don't want your, your friends of color to, to have an even playing field. You want to, like when, when Hamilton came out, you know, for literally probably the first time in my career, I was like, oh, I want to be in that show, but there's not a part for me. Oh, this is what black people have felt like for all of musical theater's history. God. I want to, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, you're, it's nice to, it's refreshing to hear that you are not asleep to all the things that are going on, nor would I expect that from you. So that is very interesting. Like during the pandemic, has has your view of the industry changed? Does it make you, did it make you miss it? Like you wanted to come back and get on stage? Did it make you find other things that you like? What kind of impacted a little time away have for you? Oh, I want to answer all three of those questions. Um, I keep giving you compounded questions. <laughs> the, the, the time away in the pandemic absolutely changed my view of the theater in, in, you know, there, we, we've had a pretty big social and racial awakening during, during the pandemic. And so trying to see the theater through the lens of my, my white privilege has been, you know, eye opening as I continue to, to learn the privilege that I've come from. It's, it's, you know, sort of embarrassing and horrifying to, to understand how much on third base I was born and, and, and how much this industry has lots of work to do. And I was really, you know, hopeful and optimistic that we would come back from the pandemic with better structures in place to be able to facilitate the change that's, that's needed. And while there's a little bit, it's, it's, it's nowhere near what we need to do. So I'm hopeful that, you know, as a, as a community of artists and producers in particular, we can understand those challenges better and, and, and improve our art form to be more accessible to the people that want to perform within it and the people that want to see it and don't have $1,200 for a ticket to go see Music Man. You know, it's, it's absurd. It was like, welcome back from the pandemic, rich people. Here we are. <laughs> So that's frustrating. The middle part of your the the middle part of your question was well, I can remember the third part. Has the pandemic made me explore other things? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I 
I mean, it was such an unfortunate time in the world, but the, the silver lining for our family was just time together with our kids. We've got three older kids, two of whom were away at college and they were home. We were all under the same roof. And that was just like, just this gift and, and time, wow. you know, because of our schedules, it's tricky to be parents, you know, then to our five-year-old to be gone at night, most nights doing a show, not being able to put your kids to sleep. Like that's terrible. And so for the ages of like three, four, five-ish for our daughter, we were just, we're home and she's gotten very used to us being home. So she is not pleased when we are gone at night now, um, oh. <laughs> which is sort of equally heartbreaking, but what a gift that was. And and I was like, I have time to do these things that I've been putting off for years and, and which would seem sort of selfish under other circumstances, but we had so much time to kill. I was like, okay, I finally want to learn how to be, uh, do pottery. And I, so I got a pottery wheel and learned how to be a potter. And like, that's something that brings me so much fulfillment now. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely am obsessed with it and and getting better and uh, I'm crazy about it. I learned roughly how to speak Italian during the pandemic. Like I tapped our maple trees and made maple syrup. I was just like, I was just like, I'm going to be the Renaissance man. And totally <laughs> you made maple syrup from the trees outside? Yes. <laughs> I've done it two years in a row now. It's pretty fun. So that, that was, that was fun. What was the middle part of your question? I wanted to I don't remember. No. I don't remember. Oh, well. <laughs> I just wanted to know how like the pandemic, how it, change your perspective of things if it changed your perspective of things for better or for worse and correct me if i'm wrong for assassins is that the first time i might be so wrong is that the first time you were back on stage after like that was the middle part of your question how did it change performing for you yes and i it, it was it was astounding i i missed it so much and getting back in the rehearsal room like you know, day one, we just kind of fell into each other's arms. We were just like, oh, thank goodness we're back. And it just felt like we had had to take our hearts out of our bodies and put it on a shelf for two years. And this piece of us that that, um, I always get emotional when I talk about this, that we weren't able to access, like we got into this because of what it does for us. It's fulfilling and it's therapy. It's, it's expression. And we, we just weren't able to do it for years. And it's the longest chunk of my life that I'd gone ever without performing. And the first night back on stage, it was so hard not to just break down and cry because it was so, it was so fulfilling. Oh my God. So I, I feel your emotion and I feel so happy for you as well. Like, and I know that feeling as well. And so it, it's like a sigh of relief that things are coming back, that we're able to be in the room together so and for assassins specifically you guys made a cast recording yeah yeah thank goodness we were excited about that we weren't sure if we were going to get one and um awesome oh my gosh yeah especially well this cast in particular uh, no i don't mean to compare us against other cats All, all the casts that have ever done this have been insane heavy hitter casts. What I mean to say is, especially because of our orchestrations, our music director, Greg Jarrett, made these incredible Americana orchestrations filled with just like banjos and fiddles and mandolins. And it's it's so, because like Sondheim wrote the show in the different musical American folk styles um, that kind of lined up with the assassin in that time period. So there's there's sort of bluegrassy stuff and there's there's you know there's like vaudeville stuff and and then pop ballads of the 80s you know when when John Hinckley shot Reagan and it's just it's so it so fulfills the the 
history and the emotional needs of, of those songs as the show goes along. I am curious because I've never gotten to see Assassins. I know in my in my college they wanted to do it, but it was like so controversial. They're like, yeah. no, it's bad. All this like in your own words, like what do you think about that? What is it? What could in a nutshell, what's it about? Is it and how was it being in it? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was terrific. Honestly, I discovered it in college as well. And, and I went to BYU, which is a Mormon college. And, uh, and I had this one professor that sort of, you know, showed me this one song. It was Unworthy of Your Love. And I remember doing that in a musical theater scene study. But then I liked it, liked the song so much that I, you know, checked out from the library, the compact disc of uh, and listened to the whole cast recording. And then I read the script as well. And there was all this cursing in the, in the script as well. And I was Great. like, oh, do these professors know how? But I mean, it's genius. John Weidman's book of Assassins is so genius, really, really just kind of strips bear the American entitlism that we are going through right now in, in to a large degree, which makes the show <laughs> as relevant, more relevant possibly than it, than it's ever been. But it was a great wow. privilege to, to be a part of that cast, let alone that piece of theater, which is just one of the more incredible pieces. We all loved long to do Sondheim to get to do it right for him in front of him right before he died it was you know he came to our opening night and then he wasn't with us 10 days later he was at your oh, oh sh yeah yeah he came to our opening night party and told us stories and you know gave ten us opening days night presents and, later 10 yeah, days ten, before he ten passed days later. he was yeah. at the party he was partying yeah. <laughs> he was he was <laughs> yeah Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a, it was a real privilege and just uh just a check that check that box off my life list kind of a thing. Holy freaking cow. I bet you have some of the best stories ever. I have some pinch me moments for sure. Yeah. I know that I know. I know that you do. Well, the cast recording comes out on the 18th th this month? I think so. I think it's the end of this week. Yeah. Okay, so by the time this episode airs, y'all, y'all can get the cast recording of Assassins and Yay. listen to Will Swinson up on there. And then I think it drops in like, what's it called? Like real, in actual CD? Do they, do we still have CDs? I think they still make CDs. I don't have a CD player anymore. Me neither. But, but you know, <laughs> for old time's sake. For those who that do, I think it's coming within the next month or something. <laughs> uh, so. I am so excited. Thank you so, so much for joining me on the show. In fact, this there's a possibility that this actually might air on Black Hair in the Big Leagues. And if it does, you will be the first <laughs> white person on Black Hair in the Big Leagues. I, claim, I, I, I have to claim, you know, naivete with, 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 as far as that's concerned. No, I mean, you get street cred. It's not like you're not married to a Black girl. Let's go. It's true. It's true. I, I, detangler and and, uh, and, a, and a picking brush are like uh, your friends. That's all. That's as far as I know so far. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Before I let you go, what are you grateful for today? And what are you excited about? Ooh, I am grateful for the sun coming back out. I think I've discovered that I might have some seasonal affective disorder because whenever it starts to warm up a little bit and the sun comes back out, my mood just goes boo through the roof. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful for my daughter, all my kids. My daughter is the one who was home this morning 
And she is light. She's a ray. In fact, I call her Salisha often. Her name's Sally. And, and well, Audra does it, but then I, I, she started it. But I, I echo it because it's just become a nickname. We often call her Salisha. <laughs> so grateful for her, grateful for you. So many things. So many, so many emotions with that. Um, amazing. Amazing. And how can people find you? I mean, uh, <laughs> look for me on 8th Avenue. I mean, I don't really do social media too, too much. On Twitter, I'm I'm the Will Swenson. And that's about it. <laughs> I love that. I truly, in fact, the last time we shared a sidewalk, I think I never saw you, but my friend who's freaking goo goo eyes over you, he was like, he, he was like, salaciously. I'm like, Jared, I'm getting a hot dog. Like, hold on. He's like, that was Will Swenson. And we were on 8th Avenue. So they truly, we were literally on 8th Avenue. Thank you so much for joining me. You're so wonderful. So much love pleasure. for you. You're Super great to talk to you. Thank you. I'll, until next time. All right. We'll see you soon. Soon. That wraps another episode. Thanks for listening to The Salisha Show. See you next week and don't be shy. If you love the show, please tell me why. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Go one step further, tell a friend or two. Check out my site if you think it was the bomb. Pay a visit to SaliciaThomas.com. One last thing before I relax. Shout out Josh Carey and thanks, Podmax. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs>